Did you know? School Sport Victoria offers 650,000 sporting opportunities in 31 different sports. At 10,700 events across the state every single year. That's a lot of kids playing sport. And for over 25 years, the Victorian School Sports Awards have recognised more than 1,500 students, teachers and volunteers for excellence and outstanding contribution to school sport. Now that's a champion effort. Good afternoon and welcome to the Ask SSV show. How are you, Gulshan? I'm very good, Ralph. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. And thanks for joining us on this show. We've got a very uh, jam-packed show today and I'm sure we're going to draw a lot out of you. You're a former Melbourne Victory player and you now work for Victory, hence the clothing and I'm uh, matching-matching <laughs> today with the Melbourne Victory shirt on as well. You've got so many achievements and I just want to really quickly highlight you're not the kind to self-promote, but let's talk about you at the moment, Melbourne Victory's highest capped player in the W League, which is fantastic. B licensed coach, played for the Turkish national team, hence your heritage, and working at Melbourne Victory in the community football and diverse, as the community football and diversity manager, and also a double degree in exercise science and sport and rec management. You have filled quite a, a lot into your very short life. How have you done all that? Uh, it's... In all honesty, I don't know. Um, to be honest, I think if I didn't have the support of um, great teachers, great coaches, family and friends, I think um, definitely would not have been possible. So I've had a really great support system along the way that's been very lenient with me and also very supportive. So that's how I think I've achieved it. Brilliant. Now, just going back to um, your time at Melbourne Victory, it was a number of years, uh, over a number of years that you played for victory is there a fond memory of that is there one that pops up it, it doesn't even need to be a game that you played in but is there a fond memory that you reflect back on uh i think the the toughest one was the first two seasons so the first two seasons i was signed at victory i actually didn't get selected for any game so wow. um training you know five to six times a week not making the team sheet for two straight years after training as much as everyone else um it was pretty difficult. Uh, before I played for the club, I was always a very passionate fan. So just getting that contract and getting the jersey was really rewarding for me. And when I did eventually get that opportunity to play, uh, that was it's an experience and a feeling that I, I wouldn't take back for anything. So those two years of hard work leading up were really well worth it. Yes, certainly. And how many years did you end up sticking with victory in the end? So nine years. Nine years. So two yeah. years not selected and then a seven years where you were selected and you then became, like I talked about, the highest cap player. That's pretty amazing. Just, you know, we'll delve into this a lot deeper in the show, but how was it to stay focused for two years without being selected? That's pretty tough. Yeah, there were times where... You know, all you want to do is give up. You kind of think, am I ever going to be good enough? But I was really lucky that my teammates, um, the environment itself, the, you know, even though I wasn't playing, the professionalism and the environment that training was producing was something that I wanted to be a part of. So 
I knew that if I kept going, I didn't know how long it was going to take, but um, I'm really happy that I kept going. And then I ended up um, being able to get some game time and be a, in or, or, you know, an important part of the squad. Fantastic. Now, just going back to um, where it all started, where, where did football start for you? Football started um, when I was really young, more so because I've got an older brother. He's four years older than me and I just wanted always to impress him. So whenever we, he was out in the backyard or going for a kick with his friends, I'd always say, hey, can I come? And he'd be like, no, like you are no good, like you're my little sister. You know, why would I want you to come and, you know, have a kick with me and my friends or even just him in the backyard? So I was determined to you know, start playing so I was good enough, you know, to have a kick with my brother. And through that, um, I joined, he joined a, a, a football team when um, we were younger and because he joined, I joined, and I was the only girl in an all-boys team. So, um, yeah, the challenges just kept coming. Which is excellent. And, and how did, what part did school sport play in your formation? I got into school sport, Victoria, a bit later, which I really do regret. I didn't really know about it um, in my primary school years or even in my early high school years. I did it in year 12, um, and that was that was unbelievable. It was I, you know, met kids from all around the state, all around Australia. So being able to find a pool of students around the same age um, that are so passionate about the sport as well, it it was an amazing experience. And like I said, I really am kicking myself that I wasn't involved about it earlier. Um, my school wasn't such a big a big football school. It was always kind of um, cricket, netball, basketball, those types of things. So um, once I, I got into it, like I said, I was pretty, pretty annoyed that it wasn't um, involved in my life earlier on. Now, what schools did you go to, primary school and high school? Which ones did you attend? So um, uh, my family's from, well, I'm from the, the southeast, so um, I went to LePage Primary School in Cheltenham yeah. and then I went to Cheltenham Secondary College in Cheltenham as well. So so Cheltenham Secondary College, pretty big um, high school, that one, yeah. um, in terms of size and, and um, like, footprint. But, you know, that obviously championed you in relation. So how did you find out about School Sport Victoria? Obviously, you didn't know about it in primary school. And don't worry, Gulshan, a lot of parents say the same thing or a lot of kids say, I wish I'd known about this back then. And, you know, we do our best to market it. But how did you find out? What was what was the, the breaking point? Uh, it, I actually just remembered. So with School Sport Victoria, I actually did cross-country um, in Year oh, 7 or 8. Yes. So that was something that... Again, it was more so there was no direct pathway or link because, like I said, we didn't have a football soccer team at my school. So if I was going to play, I couldn't, you know, play on my own. So with that, um, with being a part of state teams, um, 14, 15, there was a lot of girls from other schools that were involved saying, oh, we're doing, you know, School Sport Victoria. Um, are you going to beat it? And I'm just like, oh, I wish, but my school doesn't have a team. So... Um, as I kind of got older and met people from different areas and different schools, they, by word of mouth, they educated me on on the programs and School Sport Victoria and what they had to offer. Which is brilliant stuff. Now, just going back to your, you know, school years and looking back on what you know now, what advice would you give to your 12-year-old self knowing everything you know now? 
I just say ask questions. Like if you're passionate about a sport or even if it's something that you haven't tried before, there's nothing wrong with asking those questions about what opportunities you can have to get involved in that sport, um, get involved in, you know, competitions. When I first started, I was, like I said, I always did cross country and athletics and football wasn't really a big part of my life. And I was really fortunate that I had that avenue to find out, you know, that I had talent in other areas. So ask your friends questions, your teachers, if you're part of sporting clubs, there might be people in um, competitions or in organisations that, give you different opportunities and different experiences. Yeah, and it's it is interesting that some schools really take off on it and, and others don't. But you know, obviously um Australian football's pretty high in participation, but football certainly does have some high participation rates, you know, in regard to, you know, we, we saw fifty four thousand four hundred Victorian students take part in and participate in football uh just in two thousand nineteen, which was pretty phenomenal. And over the decade, 10, 2010 to 2019, we saw 491,879 students participating. So, you know, the the rate, uh, the gender balance is not quite where we want it to be. It's 63 boys and 37% girls. Um, how was it being a girl growing up in Cheltenham and in, in your area wanting to play football and, and you know, did you have girls around you that wanted to play or were you playing with boys? Um, within my community, so within the Turkish community, it wasn't it wasn't common for a young Turkish girl to be playing football. Um, it was more kind of, you know, do dancing, do things around the house. Uh, so I didn't have anyone to kind of relate to so that, as I said, I was playing with the boys and even that was a shock to our community. Like, what is this girl doing? I wasn't very good. Uh, when I first started, so it was almost I got told to quit. Um, I was going to say while I was ahead, but I wasn't really, really going anywhere at that time. Uh, and then through that experience, and again in Cheltenham, like I said, um, netball, AFL, all like basketball, tennis, all those sports were kind of le leading the way. So as I got older and like I said, met, met new people and met new communities. Um, like the next club I played for was Sandringham um, and they have a massive support base for uh, females in, in football. So through that, that really opened my eyes and there are there are people out there. Like it's crazy. Like right under your nose there's, you know, a lot of female athletes, but it's just find your way to them and, finding a support base that really supports women's sport and can assist in young girls wanting to reach their goals. Now, my guess is that um, what you're talking about there is in the Turkish culture, it's very patriarchal in terms of it's a, a male-dominated, male-oriented kind of culture. Is that right? The, the men lead the house kind of thing? Yeah, and it has changed since I was a, a young girl. It is different now. Um, a lot more families are supportive of females in the family um, getting in and around sport. I guess it's just education as well, mm -hmm. um, just being educated that it, I think the, the thing my mum feared the most is when I'd come home with like a bruise or an injury, she'd <laughs> say, you know, why do you keep doing this if you keep getting hurt? And it's just educating um, their families and that, you know, it's a sport. You can get roughed up a little bit, but there's a lot of positives out of it that there are negatives. 
So how did it go with with mum, dad, you know, brothers, you know, backing you and you following this pathway to get into elite football? What was what was it like with that? Yeah, look, I was again very fortunate. My parents were very supportive. Uh, when I started making state teams when I was about 13, 14, my dad actually ended up getting a second job to be able to cover the costs involved because all the the trials and the trainings were on the other side of town. So um, I think it got to a point where my dad realised that I was going to be the successful one in sport (laughs) and my brother wasn't. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, time and resources put into me and because my parents are doing that, I was determined to work even harder and make sure I made them proud and made all that that time and money and effort um, worth it. I'm sure you have made them proud, and that's a very special story. And, and it's certainly, I mean, your, your father in that story you've just talked about, you, you wouldn't be alone in that. There's a, a lot of families that um, dads take up, you know, extra income to just bring some financial freedom, in a sense, for their young child, their, their you know, wannabe lean or messy to go on and be big, bigger and better because you can't just do it. And, you know, you mentioned you were in Cheltenham. You would have probably been travelling to the city and further for training, right, for, for the elite pathway. Is that correct? I was travelling from Cheltenham to Northgate, um, uh, Darabin International Sports Centre there, and also there's been times where I've had to um, go to Epping. So, yeah, a, a good drive and... <laughs> And even with just that, it's like I remember I didn't get new new boots until either I grew out of them or they tore. So um, there's there were so many expenses involved with it and yeah. time as well. So I'm really thankful for that. Well, what a beautiful story. And, you know, generally we, we sometimes ask elite athletes like yourself, what sacrifice have you had to make? But before we get into that, what sacrifices do you think you, your mum, your dad, your, your brother's, brother had to make to get you to where you are today because that's the kind of thing that sometimes is forgotten you know we see the uh the ash of this world but we forget that ash had probably a number of hours and, and a whole stack of cash put behind her to get her to where she is yeah so um i like my mum worked as well but she worked night shift so then she was able to you know look after the household and cook and clean and do everything for my brother and my dad and I so with my dad I know that um, there was a lot of times where he actually had to leave work early um, to accommodate for say I started training at five or even at six trying to beat beat the traffic so he had a lot of conversations at work because you know management or or bosses can only be so lenient but when you're saying hey I need to leave work early every you know Monday to Friday because I need to take my daughter to to training. Um, there was definitely a toll, and the days that, for instance, I had off, he didn't because he was working the second job. Um, yeah, the like my family, like my mum, didn't come to as many games as um, like my dad was at every game until I started. Yeah. Um, but with my mum. She was more worried about if I got hurt. So she knew that if she'd come to the game, she couldn't, um, she'd probably start bawling her eyes out if I got tackled. Also, her understand, like she was always proud of me, but her understanding of football wasn't as, as great as my dad. So she kind of thought, okay, 
who am I going to know at the same time and what am I going to understand? And if someone hurts you, I'm just going to start yelling at them. So that's uh, that's special. And, and mum would have been very, well, dad as well, would have been very protective of you. But, you know, there's, there's slide tackles, there's there's black eyes, there's sometimes. Have you had to sustain some, some serious injuries in your career? Uh, yeah. So uh, three or four years ago, I broke my foot. Wow. Um, which it, it makes a massive difference when you're a bit older, but when you're younger and definitely depending on your parents, um, I rolled my ankle a couple of times to all ligaments and every time I've come home, my mum said, like, again, like, why are you doing this? And, yeah, so um, there's been, yeah, a few rolled, rolled ankles and one broken foot, but other than that, it's been, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. So how did you manage that when you did break your foot? Had Like you obviously can't play. So what did you do to recover? So when I broke my foot, it was actually I had just started working at Victory full time. So it was the first week I was employed. And that Saturday I broke my foot and, you know, calling my manager saying, look, um, <laughs> I don't think I want to be able to come to work uh, on Monday doesn't make you sound very reliable um, and also it was done in the last minute of the game I was playing in so oh, it, yeah, even worse and my husband at the time um, he, I actually drove myself to the hospital from Epping so we were playing at Epping Stadium so I drove myself to Sandram Hospital wow. and we waited I think about six hours to get the results that I um, had broken my foot fourth four months out from the start of the W League season as well. So it was kind of all, all happening for me. And when the doctor came and said, you've broken your foot, my um, husband went to high five me and I just had tears rolling down my face and I said, there goes my season and I've just started work. So, yeah, it was a pretty, um, pretty devastating time. But look, work was unbelievable. Victory were really accommodating Um I wanted I wanted to get back to work as soon as I could, so um, I got my had my moon boot, had my crutches, went into the office, and then after I had my operation, uh, the club again was very supportive, and I was still signed for Melbourne Victory. So my rehab, um, my support system, everything uh, I had through Victory for the club was absolutely amazing. That's so good. And, and Victory, I mean, we really enjoy as School Sport Victoria partnering with Victory and we have done for a number of years now. I think it's close to five years that we've been partnering with Victory, possibly more. Um, but we just love working with yourself and the likes of um, Tim DeGraff. I mean, who doesn't love Tim? He's just a <laughs> legendary guy. Tim um, gets the job done, which is good. That's right. That's right. Now, is it was it a dream come true for you to work at Victory? Because I know Victory is... Um, one of the, if not the highest, I think it's the second highest um, membership base in Australia in terms of the A-League. I yeah. can't remember if it is or not, but, um, you know, that is when kids are growing up, it's every kid's dream to work in the place that they follow, right? Was that a dream for you? Definitely was. I think I ticked the first box. I know I ticked the first box when I got signed for the club, but working at the club um, itself was a dream come true and, there's not many opportunities um, to work at the club only because when you're in, no one wants to leave and yeah. because there isn't such a big turnover of staff, uh, it is somewhere that is, um, I guess, hard to get into more so, like I said, because no one wants to leave and also I 
was fortunate enough. I didn't get my job because I was a W League player. I actually got it because Stella Smith, who was my manager at the time, I volunteered a lot of my time as a W League player uh, because I love the club so much. Um, in the W League, our contracts are very different to the the A League players where there wasn't as many requirements in, I guess, the appearance um or even with the clinic. So I just said, look, you need someone, tell me where, when, and I'll be there. And I guess proving that I had a passion for the club and the sport, not expecting anything in return was a massive plus for the club when they were looking to hire someone. I think you've hit on something really important there. And it's, it's certainly something that, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I don't see in young people these days, is that that desire to really want to do something for nothing they you know um this is generalizing of course is not every young person but generally speaking there is a, a it can be a sense of entitlement i'm trying to be respectful by saying it but by volunteering i think that is really important for you or for people to because this day and age with with the scarcity of work it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And if you are known by someone who is looking to hire, they're going to hire someone who they have a relationship with and they understand better than someone who they've just met in an interview kind of thing. So it's really that networking is really important. And that's the same thing with us. We've got volunteers that uh, assist with our programs and other departments. Yeah. And when we, if there is an opportunity to hire, whether it's casual or full-time, we yeah. always, there's, always a favour towards the ones that have put that work in for nothing because it wouldn't be fair and also they know what the club's about. There's a lot of people uh, that do volunteer that are purely doing it for the love of the game and for the yeah. love of the club and that's really important. It is and finding that love is really important. How, how do you reconcile the idea that you do have two degrees and at the moment you're not working in that realm, exercise, uh, exercise science and um, sport and rec management? So with um, my degree, the management side, like sport and rec management has come really in handy with, I guess, the administration side of the programs that we run. Um, the exercise science side, it was kind of, you know, do I do a single degree or a double? Why don't I just do it for the sake of it? And then as my sport got to a professional level, I saw all the work that the exercise sciences did and I was like, no, I, I still want to play. I don't have um I don't have that time to give up to put towards exercise science. So through my playing, it actually gave me a background or an, uh, I guess an insight to what what is done, and it just made me realize that more so the coaching and the events and planning that side of thing was more my passion. That's so good. And what is you know if you were to sort of throw caution in the wind, what would be a dream job for you? What would be the thing that you would love to do the most? I don't know if it's going to sound corny, but what I'm doing right now, um, the work that Tim and I do in the community department, yeah. it's honestly like it's so rewarding. There's times where we kind of think, oh, you know, when can I take a breath? But when we do run those programs and seeing the impact it has and the impact that football can have, on a child, on a team, on a community, like nothing can compare. And, and until you've experienced that, people might say, oh, how can that be your dream job? But honestly, like I, I could do that every day for the rest of my life and, 
and be content about um, the progress and the impact that I'm making. Well, I mean, I have the privilege of knowing exactly what you guys do and, and working a bit with you guys. And without going into too much detail, because I'll be frankly honest, I reckon I could talk about your role and Tim's role and what you do for hours without stopping, because I love what you do. Just tell us a little bit about the store. Not You don't need to mention names, but I would imagine um, people like Deng who've come through, you know, you've, you've, you've found them in a little program and they're now playing with victory. Talk us through those kinds of stories because they're the ones that I don't know that the community know about, the, the yep. community arm of what Victory do. Yep, so um, Thomas Dang actually came from uh, one of our Club Victory clubs. So we have a program, it's called our Club Victory program where we work with uh, local clubs within the community. And he himself having had challenges along the way to get his professional contracts, understands how important it is to have that support within the community or having clubs that have the resources assist those clubs. And he honestly, like, such a great guy, good, great footballer, and also he's one that gives back to his community and the community and, like, that it's even it's hard to kind of describe and put words to it because he's one of a kind and when those players that have come from, say, little and achieved so much give back to people that are in those same positions, it gives hope and, and it, you know, allows people to think that, look, I've got a dream and if he's been able to do it, I can do it too. Absolutely. That, that hope that you talked about is exactly what, because um, what, what you're describing is you're working with, you work with a variety of people, but generally speaking, there are some that English is not their first language, that finance is not, you know, it does, it, they don't have money growing on trees, they don't have a great deal of finance, they're working two, three jobs to just survive. So when you've got a talent like Deng, and, and Deng is one of many that we could talk about, you you see this kid, he's got the potential, but it's some to, it's it's hard to stomach that you can see a kid with so much character and potential, but no that they may not make it based purely on their circumstances. And that, to me, is grossly unfair. Yeah, and I agree completely. And the a big thing with him as well is there's he hasn't forgotten where he's come from. He hasn't yeah, forgotten yeah. what family and what community he's still a part of. He hasn't forgotten about the clubs previously in his junior years that have supported him to get to where he is. So yeah. He's a very humble um, person and, in all honesty, we need more like him. Um, if uh, players like him have the opportunity, if kids like him in the community have the opportunity, we could have not only great footballers but great people playing this sport. Fantastic. Now, what, what, I mean, we'll talk about sacrifice in a second, but if there was someone listening or tuning in later who's who's a young kid like Deng as, as a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy or a even a girl, what would you say to them if they had this desire to represent Australia or represent their country or play for victory one day but didn't have the backing? What what advice would you give them? Well, it it honestly just depends on how much they want it. Even if they don't may not have the opportunity to play at the highest level or have, you know, play at the biggest teams in Victoria at the moment, it's how much effort you're putting with what you're capable of. So, like I said, my family didn't have a lot of money, but 
I had a soccer ball. I was in the backyard hitting against a brick wall. A couple of times hit the window. My mum wasn't very <laughs> happy, but I was determined to be the best possible player I could be with the resources that I had. I wasn't yeah. making up excuses of, you know, I don't have the best boots or the most expensive equipment. I was making do with what I had. Like me and my brother, we used to play um, in the backyard with chairs. So the goals, the bottom of the chairs, the four legs were the goals. So that's how we we utilised what we had. So it's if they've got a dream, in all honesty, the only thing stopping them at this point in time, if they're 12 or 13, is themselves. Yeah. Yeah, good work. Now, what sacrifice have you had to make to get to where you are today? So um, I guess a big one would be the social aspect of my life. So yeah. going to birthday parties, you know, schoolies, um, going out, all of those things. I, look, to me, it didn't seem like a loss because I loved football so much. So that sacrifice was really easy for me to make. Um, I guess income when I first started getting jobs outside of football, so working in retail or fast food, I was always unavailable for shifts. So assisting my family in regards to paying my way through football uh, was difficult and it was really hard to not be able to contribute. And also with my education, um, it, it was difficult. I yeah. preferred a semester. I did less subjects in uni. Uh, so my education side of things went for a lot longer than what I would have wanted it to go for. But it all I got, got to where I wanted to be in the end. It just there was a bit more of a process. I mean, to balance elite football and academic uh, and, and academic education is not easy to do. Like, you know, if you've done exercise science, let's face it, you, um, you're a bright spark as well. You obviously got a good ATAR score to, to get into those kinds of things. How, how did you balance the two? What, how, was that hard during your um, schooling, high schooling years, your senior years? Yeah, so it's funny you say good ATAR. I probably didn't get a good ATAR. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, trying to butter you up. Yeah, I know. That, that's okay. And look, um, like I said, it was a longer journey. So in year 12, I was so sports driven that yeah. going back, I would have chose to be a bit smarter about it and balance it a bit better. Um, I ended up doing a diploma for two years after high school. So I did a diploma of sports development. Right. at BU and then that um, led me into my double degree. So, it yeah, it was a longer path but I made, like you said before, networking and I made a lot of friends and there's a lot of people that I have met through that process. So, again, balancing it, um, there's days where I had training, then I had uni or I had uni, then training, or I had work, uni, training. So yeah. um, it just I wanted it so bad that I made it work. It was exhausting but... Yeah, it worked. I mean, you talk about it being a longer path, but it's an important path too because so often we, we talked about this last week and the week before, so often we try and push kids into an academic mould of they must do ATAR, they must get a good score, but there are so many more options and the options you took, what even though in your words it's a little bit longer, you actually found a love for what you love to do and when you love what you're doing and what you're studying, you put so much more effort into it. There's a lot more that uh, um, passion that goes into your study. 
Yeah, definitely. And like I said, um, doing the diploma of sport development actually opened my eyes to how important um, sport is and the phases in regards to, I guess, educating yourself and educating others in, in different fields and in different sports. And also I was able to have different experiences uh, that I wouldn't have had if I went straight into my uni course and yeah. was doing that. Um, it made me a lot more passionate to get into that uni course through the two years in between year 12 and starting that double degree. And, yeah, it was definitely a path that I was uh, thankful that I took. Which is fantastic. Now, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, what's happening for you now. Take us through a typical week of training when you were signed and, and playing with victory. What would a typical week look like for you? So a typical week would have been Monday to Friday in the office and every day, so after 5 o'clock, I'd go to training Monday to Friday. So it was... You know, wake up at 7 and probably get home at, at 9, 10 o'clock. So, yeah. yeah, pretty long days. And depending on if I had programs out of the office, it would be, um, say, go to the program and then go to training. And then on the weekends, it was either I was playing a game or we'd have an event on. So if I wasn't playing, um, so pretty much I had football-related things Monday to Friday. Uh, Monday to Friday. <laughs> That would have been uh, very tough to manage all of that and manage, you know, the recovery because recovery is very important for, uh, you know, anyone who's an elite athlete as well. What was it like playing for the national team, the Turkish national team, and how long did you play for them for? Yeah, so I played for Turkey for three years and at that time, so I was also playing for Victory, also playing MPL, had a job and... <laughs> was studying my double degree. So wow. I was flying to Turkey every two weeks for three years. So I'd go for two weeks, come back for two weeks, go no for two way. weeks. Yeah. And, um, so because, just to um, help others understand, does I, I thought the Turkish, well, the, the um, overseas season is different to the victory season. Am I right or wrong? It, it crosses over to an extent only because there's World Cup qualifiers and then there's European oh, qualifiers course, as well as friendlies. So, uh, yeah, there was there was a lot going on and it, it was crazy because some of the qualifiers actually crossed over with the W League season and that was where I was at my peak because I was training with the national team, training with victory, and it, act, it hurt me a little bit to miss games in the W League because... You know, it's amazing playing for, for Turkey and that's obviously the priority. But, I, you know, you do the preseason for victory and it's only a 14-round season and you miss, you, know, you miss two games and then when you come back, you're out of the squad. And so, yeah, it was a, a crazy time and a crazy ordeal of, you know, you want to play all the games, but a 19-hour flight up and a 19-hour flight back, you kind of, you miss a lot in between. Well, exactly. And, you know, what some may not understand, because that, that sounds exciting. You know, you're getting on the plane every two weeks, playing for a national team, you're working full time, you're playing for victory. It's like Dreamsville all over. But there would be an element that was tough. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I'm going to guess that there wasn't a great deal of finance that was coming for you as a, as a female player. 
there, I mean, it's no surprise to anyone that there is inequality with males and females in any sport across uh, Australia right now, or even across the world, actually. So how, how did you financially keep up with everything? I was more so in negatives um, during okay. that time. They covered my flights, which was amazing because that was two and a half to three thousand dollars each time I went up um, flying international. And we only got paid for away games. So I only got paid if um, we were playing. So when we played um, England, for instance, if we went to England, we'd get paid for the days that we were outside of Turkey. But when we were in Turkey, because for the locals, there wasn't really a travel cost, their flight would get covered, but there wasn't as much of a discrepancy of being out of the country. Um, and, look, I was still fortunate that because I was signed at Victory when it crossed over, uh, I was still getting my player wage then. But, again, the the currency rate in Europe compared to here as well and, you know, wanting to buy certain things and every time I'd come back with gifts for my family. So <laughs> I'd always, yeah, it, it, financially it was difficult. Yeah, it would have been, and it still is. Like, I don't know if you've got um, KO or not, but KO has a fantastic six-part series at the moment um, called Call My Name, and it's, I don't know if you've watched it or not, but it does interview Australian athletes, and Liz Cambage is interviewed, and she talks about the fact that um, the in, she played for the NBL as a yeah. basketball. She talked about the fact that NBA players would fly premium business and NBL players, females, males would fly premium business and females would fly economy. And when it got leaked to the media, she admitted it. She says it on there. She said, I leaked it to the media. I'm the one who pushed it because I don't like that and I'm trying to push more equality. And now they actually do fly the girls' premium um, business. So it's, there is a, a bit of a, it is a bit of a shame that there's so much of a, a drive and a push that's needed for this because it just seems so... Um, it, it just seems silly that we're even having these conversations in 2020. Well, it's the same. Like I said, with when I was talking about the cultural barriers and the differences when I was younger, you know, it's, it it changes because my family lives in Australia, so there's still a lot of change needing to be done back back in Turkey. So that itself, the differences, um, like I. I talk about things that we did here in regards to like physios, games, what we got, and then I'd go back to Turkey and talk about it and they're like, how how do you get that? How do you have that support? Wow. So the, the differences um, going from one nation to the other, it, it's almost like not only is the language, like I can speak Turkish, so I was fortunate, but there's still the, the language differences when you're on the pitch, like how you're speaking to each other, the different calls, the different positions. That was tough enough, but also being used to, you know, for victory, it's if you need a massage or if you need treatment, you talk to the physio, you get it, whereas there it was assigned and, you know, it was only specific people that would get it if they're injured or there's just, yeah, there were so many differences that that itself, the cultural shock um, going from one nation to the other was also something, as well as the jet lag, um, many things to kind of get used to. Well, I had no idea about this story, but I was just about to say the same thing, that you have to manage jet lag, you have to manage finances, cultural difference, because I'm guessing in Turkey you wouldn't have been speaking English, you would have been 
shouting at your teammates and they would have been shouting at you in Turkey, which you know, probably meant that when you came back to victory, you, you caught yourself speaking Turkey sometimes <laughs> to your friends. Did that happen? Did you slip up and think, hang on, I'm not, I'm not in Turkey right now? Uh, look, I didn't slip up when I came back. Um, I think it was more there was opportunities on whilst I was playing or things I didn't react to quick enough because yeah. I hadn't adapted to the communication and the the wording that uh, was used when I was playing. So that probably did hinder my performance a little bit. And also, like you were talking about recovery, there's so many different processes that were done um, at Melbourne Victory or in, in Australia compared to the processes that were done in, in Turkey. So there was, yeah, a, a lot of adapting to kind of do. But even being on a flight for that long, it's not good for the body. It's not good for someone who probably covers conservatively. I reckon you'd cover about five kilometres a game, roughly. I don't know what the GPS says, but, you know, when you're running around as a mid, uh, no, you were a forward striker, right? I was a fullback for Turkey and fullback. then um, for victory, played yeah, every, every position possible. <laughs> I mean, that in a sense is crazy that you would come back and be in a different position itself, but it's just not good for the legs that way. What would you say to a young girl who was 12 years old now and maybe even Turkish as well, wanting to represent her country, what advice would you give to her? I, I would say, I guess the hard thing is as well, it's if they don't have the support of their family because I have come across conservative communities where they say to me you're living the dream that I would would want to like everything that you did when you're my age I can't do because I don't have the support of my family and it's not I guess it's it's not normal to do like using I guess I'm using that word loosely like a a normal thing within their family um I guess it would just be having those conversations with your parents and if they think it's going to be an issue and clash with other things proving to them that you're going to be respectful and and try and keep the promises of worrying about school as well yeah. and, and sharing that load. So it, it just has to be an honest and open conversation. If you don't have that support, telling your parents why it means so much to you. And if you do have that support, like I said, I had two years of of busting my gut to get to playing at, for victory. So if you believe in yourself and you've got that support as well, honestly, nothing can stop you. I mean, that, that makes, knowing what I know now just by just learning it from this very short conversation we've had, that makes that two years even more unbelievable because there would have been, a, I'm guessing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, there would have been a drive in you to want to show mum and dad, your, your culture, um, men, that you can do this, but because you weren't being selected, that was that was hard, right? Oh, it was definitely hard and it's funny because when I first started playing, there was a lot of people telling me that I should give up. Well, it wasn't my family. Yeah. Like my family always supported me, but there was a lot of male coaches or, or teammates that said, you know, you shouldn't yeah. be playing. And and now that I've achieved everything I've achieved, they say, oh, you know, we taught her everything she knows or she got to where she is because she was playing at our club or we were coaching yeah. her or all those things. So it's really intriguing how it can flip so quickly when you're successful and doing well, whereas if it's the opposite, um, it seems like you get you have more enemies than you have supporters and fans. 
Well, it's, I mean, that's that's tough to have people say that to you and, and um, yeah, but I understand. And what you were talking about with the, the hypothetical 12-year-old Turkish girl is you weren't talking about circumstance in terms of finance. You were talking about potentially yep. the, the culture and the upbringing and, the, and the, the mindset being a hindrance to that girl, not just for football but going on to any sport, right? Now, look, you, I mean, you do, as I said, some amazing stuff at Victory. Um, what's next for you? Like where, short term and long term, what do you want to, um, and it doesn't need to be sport related, it can be anything, what do you want to do? Well, for me, um, playing's kind of, I've achieved everything that I believe that I can um, turning 30 this year. So I want to focus more on the community side of things and, help those, you know, those 12-year-old Turkish girls or um, those 12-year-old boys or, you know, any young kids within the community that they use football as either a tool to get away or to get active, have fun, make friends. I want to continue providing them with support and opportunities to do that because, again, um, there's so many people working in the elite space and they don't need any more support. It's the kids that don't have the opportunities are the communities that don't have the opportunities that need more programs that we're providing or more people like myself and Tim to assist them in that. That's pretty exciting. Look, you're only newly newly married, not very long now. How long has it been now? Uh, February. So, yeah. Very, very newly married. So, I mean, don't want to push this on you, but I'm sure that if you are blessed, you and your husband are blessed with kids and you have a little girl or a little boy, you are going to be pushing them to be whatever they want to be and that that's really exciting for you and and for the future of your family well you know the funny thing is i'll um give you the the spiel on um this live feed that i actually am pregnant and i'm due in february so oh my gosh <laughs> not that's... many people know so you heard it first here so february would make you uh oh, 14 weeks um, no, I'm actually about 24 weeks. 24 weeks, sorry, I've missed yeah, so 24 weeks. That's exciting. Months. Yeah. That is so exciting. Well, congratulations to you and your husband. I'm sure he is over the moon and whether it's a boy or a girl, you'll both be very excited and, and you know, we'll have little Janet Saris, as I don't even know how to say your last name, running around playing soccer. Oh, look, um, we'll see how we go. Look, obviously I'm a bit biased towards the football side of things, but... As, as long as they're, they're enjoying what they're doing and have yeah. that support from myself and my husband and they're healthy, that's um, that's the main thing. But, again, yes, I will so definitely true. be biased towards them playing football. <laughs> that's so good, so good. We've loved having you on the show and getting to know you a little bit more and also getting to know what you do and Tim does at Victory. Um, we certainly, I'm speaking on behalf of SSV now, that we love partnering with you and we hope to continue working with you in the near you know in the near future and the very long term future as well and work with your community sport and we're excited by you know the direction that Victory's going with Ian at the helm and and the new staff you've got coming on it's pretty exciting times for Victory and December 27 
the A League kicks off again, so that's that's exciting in itself. I mean, I'm personally excited by that. Oh, no, um, I'm excited too. I'm, the W League and the A League are kicking off on the same day, so it's very exciting. It is, and you know, without going into this too much, obviously the season that was um, wasn't the greatest for various reasons, COVID, and they just didn't play their best. But the last four games, and I've said this to Tim a few times, if the last four games are anything to go by the next season is super exciting. And I think that's why, I won't say the figures because um, I don't know if I'm supposed to know, but I think that's why you guys are experiencing some really good membership numbers right now. And yep. that's exciting times for you guys moving forward. So hopefully more members join on the victory bandwagon and get involved and December 27 is exciting. Yeah, it's really um, Ribs and Jeff. So Jeff, our WE coach, are doing a great job with the recruiting process. So... Um, and they're fantastic coaches and people, so I'm really excited for December 27, like you are, and can't wait to have all the fans supporting as well because, in all honesty, um, not only do the players and the staff make the club what it is, but yeah. our fans are the ones that also add what amazing family vibe we've got. Correct. Yeah, correct, and it is exciting. The signings are exciting. Look, go well. We are really excited and we'll continue to work with you and we're excited by your pregnancy that is fantastic <laughs> and we'll look forward to uh meeting your child one day yeah honestly thanks so much for your time raf and i look forward to i guess what the future is going to bring now that lockdown's um over so all restrictions have eased very good thanks heaps all right see ya